Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Welcome back for episode 11 of Plastic Model Mojo. I'm sure many of you have experienced those times at the bench when nothing seems to go right and it's best to just get up and walk away. Recording episode 11 was similar to that, but after a couple of takes, Dave and I got something usable after much editing. It's still a little on the quirky side, so don't be surprised by an occasional cyborg voice or awkward transition, but it still worked out in the end, so let's get it going. How's it going tonight, Dave? Not too bad, Mike. Not too bad. How about yourself? Well, it's been busy. We're kind of in birthday season. Uh, interesting. Uh, St- Stuart Clark from uh, Scale Model Podcast had a birthday on the 19th. And David Goldfinch had a birthday on the 30th, which he happens to share with uh, Terry Hill from our club. And my younger brother, both on April 30th. He referred to April 30th as April Wise Day the opposite of April Fool's Day, since it was on the on the end of the month instead, instead of the first. I, I wanted to say I, I, he's never met my brother, but <laughs> my, my, my brother's not, not too shabby. <laughs> so, so, maybe, so maybe Dave's right. Um, and then my birthday was Friday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. So that yeah. went pretty well. So hopefully you got something... Uh... Something nice to some nice modeling fluid for your birthday. Was uh, that in the cards or? Uh, it was in the cards. I got a little bullet orange for my birthday from a good friend of mine. We were uh, sitting on the back patio and my, my cell phone rings and it's a friend of mine, Chris, calling from the driveway saying, uh, hey, you got a you got a surprise in the garage. So I went out there and there was a brand new bottle and it was timely. I was out. I didn't have any. Assume that's your modeling fluid tonight. Actually, it's not. Uh oh. That's a beer night. I did a lot of work today. So, um, Cougar Bait from uh, Country Boy Brewing, my probably my second favorite from our this local local brew pub. That's a good one. I like it. It's an easy drink, blonde ale. It's kind of got a dry finish. I'm not too sure about, but easy on the head too. And what what about you? Well, um, if you've been following on our Facebook page, as I've been modeling through the last. Uh, two weeks I've been trying different beers a whole bunch of regional stuff uh, some flavored beers I think there was a blueberry maple uh, beer Uh, so I've been trying a lot of beers but uh, for tonight I've gone back to the the standard Kentucky bourbon Uh, in this case it's Knob Creek um, from down in Claremont Kentucky, which is about 20 miles, 25 miles south of Louisville. Um, It's uh, 50% alcohol, so it's 100 proof, uh, not nearly as strong as the uh, uh, barrel strength bullet from the last show. Uh, It's a good drink. It's it's got the vanilla notes and the caramel notes that you would expect. It seems to me just a little bit sweeter than say bullet it's not it's not sweet like uh, maker's mark it's not it's not that sweet but it's sweet like bu- a little sweeter than 
comparing it to like Bullet or, uh, uh, you know, something comparable. Uh, price point wise, it's again about, about on par with Bullet, maybe a few dollars cheaper, depending on which one you catch on sale. Um, but it's a fine drink. It's uh, have it over ice and it, it, it's an easy pour and an easy sip. So I'm enjoying it. Well, some folks must be enjoying the podcast because we got quite a bit of listener mail. Now, of course, we prompted folks last episode with uh, with a couple of questions. So let's see what we got going on. All right. Well, first, uh, Eric Simmelmayer from San Francisco, California, was the person who asked about the conversion and reposing of plastic figures that I, I couldn't remember. I couldn't recall. I couldn't find the couldn't find the communication from him. But anyway, after he heard me asking for that person to reach out, he did and identified himself. And it's an interesting topic. I'm not sure I'm the expert that needs to be doing a whole lot about it. But I did put him on a book by uh, Bill Chilstrom. He did a book uh, for Squadron Signal called Converting and Detailing Plastic Figures. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, I think he was one of the uh, all the all the personalities kind of around Bob Letterman. Yep. I think that's right. Yeah. He built a diorama, uh, titled, I believe it's footsteps of the Grand Armée. And it was these retreating Germans wounded, walking wounded, a winter scene kind of de- depicting the parallels between the German retreat off the Eastern front and the retreat of Napoleon out of Russia, uh, during his time. So it's a good book. Uh, you know, it's a picture book, caption book, but I think you can glean a lot of information from that. So, uh, he, he appreciated that. So hopefully that works out for him. Uh, he also says his modeling fluid is almost always beer. And, uh, he sent me a link to, to tapped. It's a web app mm-hmm. for keeping track of all your beer, your, all your beer endeavors. I, I've seen the app and, uh, frankly, have thought about downloading it and keeping track of this because uh, I'm I'm sampling more and more beers these days, so uh, more different beers. So you know, kind of be nice to keep track of them. Uh, also from California, we have Steve Berktold from uh, Covina, and Covina is oh about midway between Pomona and Pasadena, and he weighs in on last episode's special segment on subject selection. Uh, he says, Hey guys, I love your podcast. I've caught up and heard them all and you keep getting better. I also listened to on the bench and scale model shed and I, Steve, I hope you listen to the scale model podcast too, because they're a couple of good guys and they would love to have you as a listener as well. Uh, I bet you are. Oh, but back to his email. Uh, it's great to have some local flavors. It took me a while to get used to what the other guys or the others call English. So if he's listen, list, listening to the Aussies and the English, uh, he might find that a challenge every now and then. They, they may use a word you're not used to on occasion. I am actually an aircraft modeler, subjects from World War I to ending at the F-18, no fifth generation, and so on. I go for a paint scheme first on a subject, on a subject I like. And he says he served in the Marine Corps during the Cold War Iran crisis, so I'm partial to sea services. And as you can tell from my area of interest, this is a very colorful aircraft era. It says he lows low visibility. <laughs> He's not the only one. Well, yeah, it's a lot of gray, isn't it? Yep. Well, Ethan Eidenmill from San Diego, California. So 
So we got three, a trifecta from California. I guess that's all the horse racing we're going to get this season. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Thanks again for the great podcast and keep it up. You, well, I def, It definitely helps keep up my mojo. Uh, he gives a couple of responses regarding modeling periodicals, which was our question to the listeners last time. Uh, he usually makes a habit of getting rid of them. He's got digital copies of fine scale modeler that he also purchases. He can always go back to. And for the IPS journal, he keeps the national results issue and any that he has specific articles of interest in. Uh, he just would rather save the physical space for other things. That's probably the one I wouldn't keep. Kind of wish we had six six issues plus six issues plus the national issue. But yeah. uh, I generally agree with you because you know basically that issue is a picture book of the entries or a lot of the entries, the winning entries, and so it doesn't have quite the modeling content. But I will say that I probably get a little more enjoyment out of it simply because. I go to the nationals fairly often, almost every year. So I kind of get a a second high from opening up that issue and looking through because I remember the it brings back the experience of actually being at the nationals for me. But I understand what you're feeling because because it does, you know, it doesn't have the modeling content like a regular issue of, of the journal does. Yeah, and I don't want it to go away. I like it, and I think it's a, a good honor to the guys who, who've placed at the show. So mm-hmm. certainly keep it, but I'd like to I'd like to see it as a as a as an extra. I think that'd be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, he's also kind of, he's kind of in your camp about modeling subjects. Um, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He's not going to be doing uh, a subject that's only got a bad kit. He'll he's going to move on to something else. Looks like time is too limited to spend on bad kits. Yeah, that's exactly the attitude that I've gotten as I've gotten older. There are enough good kits of enough things I do want to build that I just, I don't have the time to invest in an old or bad kit. And Ian McCauley's back from uh, Ottawa, Ontario. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. He's got some suggestions or his habits for modeling periodicals. Uh, he's got kind of three bullet points. The first one. Uh, he says, like you, Dave, uh, some he keeps forever. And this would primarily be uh, magazines that are no longer in circulation, like Military Miniatures and Review, which is one I really miss. Oh, yes. And then Model Cars. And I think Model Cars was kind of a higher higher caliber model car magazine, wasn't it? Yes, I believe so. So he keeps copies of those. He says generally he keeps them for several years. And once he's reached saturation point, he gives them away. It's probably a good idea. I'm sure somebody I've given away a bunch. I used to give them to my father-in-law. He used to like those, but he gives them away at the model shows and things like that. And then lastly, and he says, uh, Dave will probably want to cover his ears for this one. (laughs) If I have a magazine that has one article in it, if I have a magazine that has one article in it that I want for a specific model in the stash, but do not otherwise want the magazine, he'll clip out the article and stick it in the kit box. I like that idea. Oh, man. Well, actually, okay, well, the, the thought of actually physically tearing apart a, a, a book or a magazine hurts my soul because I'm a librarian at heart. Uh, 
actually, I do something similar. If I, if for some reason I get a magazine that I don't normally get, that's not one that that I get every month, but I'm getting it just because it has one particular article in it that I want. A lot of times, what I'll do is I'll use a. I've got a high speed scanner, uh, color scanner. So what I'll do is I will scan the one article I want save that in my research folder on my laptop. And then what I'll do is I'll take the magazine, which at that point is still intact, and I'll either bring it to the next club meeting for a raffle or I'll give it to somebody if I know that they might be interested in that subject. But yeah, that's, that is not a bad way to save stuff where you only want one particular thing out of a magazine. Well, Hector Cologne's back from Chicago land, and that's exactly what he does, Dave. He uh, he scans them and puts them on a flash drive. Yep, save a lot of space that way. He's got to remember where he put the flash drive, though. That, that's always a problem for me. <laughs> well, and you've got to be organized. You really have to figure out your organizational system and stick to it. Well, speaking of sticking to it, uh, Hector also throws in a PE tip from our episode on photo etch. Uh, he puts a piece of tape behind, behind the entire fret, and then when he cuts a part off, it doesn't go into orbit. You know, I've been doing that now for a number of years. Uh, I just take some Tamiya tape and fold the edges back, stick it to a piece of glass or marble, and then stick the fret to that, and then at that point, cut it off with my finger over the part. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it took me lot longer than it should have to have figured out that trick, but it really does keep the photo etch, particularly the tiny photo etch parts from just pinging off into never, never land. So yeah, that's a, that's a real good modeling tip. Joel Sherwood writes in again. He's my homie from upper East Tennessee. I'm going to have to get with him next time I go visit my, my parents, assuming I ever get to go visit them again. (laughs) yeah Uh, he's got an interesting approach to uh projects see what you think of this uh he builds in the same scale a a a kit that's got some age on it maybe or a lesser expensive kit before he tackles the the one he really wants to jazz up and for example i think he put pictures on our facebook page he's building a levachkin la7 and he he kind of uh chipped his way through the hobby craft kit before he hits the Edward one in the same scale. What do you think of that? I can see there might be an advantage to that, particularly if you were doing something regarding an unusual paint scheme or a complex paint scheme where you wanted to practice, but of course, didn't want to bugger up the really nice kit that you had gotten. So I can see that as a, a, a as a viable uh, a viable choice. My only problem is, again, as I said earlier, one of the things I decided is I'm not going to spend what little modeling time I have building the older, less good kit. So, you know, I can see both pros and cons in it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, it's, the paint schemes, especially, I, I think, 
it's hard for me to to get my head around from the assembly standpoint what might be parallel between the two kits. Maybe a lot of it in some cases, but a lot of kits are engineered completely different. So, right. Uh, hey, if it works for him, I mean, it's practice. It's all about practice, right? Ultimately, yeah. well, ultimately, building and doing any modeling, building anything keeps your sh- your skills sharper than only getting to the bench occasionally. So that's one of the reasons I've been making an effort to not let long gaps pass between bench sessions. Now, you know, life life gets in the way sometimes. Next, we've got John Byron from maybe Brian. I've got it listed both ways in my notes, so I'm sorry, John. I think it's Byron, but he is from Croydon in the UK, which is south of London. It's a London suburb, south side. Yeah. Uh, he tells us he's an emergency worker, so they're still struggling over there. So he's probably pretty busy. So I hope he's able to stay safe with that. Quickly for him, uh, he only models 48-scale aircraft since 1946 and nothing else. So I guess there's plenty of magazines for him that don't have a lot of long-term value. So he pretty much chucks them when he's more than 30 issues or so on hand. So he buys quite a few, he says, but, uh, he doesn't keep a lot. So he's maintaining his space there. Another thing he's, he's done is something you're going to find interesting. He sent me a blog link, which I'll put in the show notes about uh, being more productive, building more. Right. I would definitely like to like to read that because you know, that's one area I really work on. And he's, he's, he's saying that since he, since he uh, put into practice the things he, he wrote in the blog, he, he's pumping out eight or 10 a year, which that's not bad. I'd love to do that. Oh, one more uh, from your buddy, Jeff Groves, inch high guy. Uh, <laughs> basically, he says, uh, you're right, Dave. You're right, Dave. The, uh, the correct answer is to keep them forever. He can't see throwing out ref- any reference material. See, I knew I knew Jeff was a smart guy. I guess so. Um, he's in your camp, but I think that's based on our emails. You're only going to need a two-man tent for that camp. There's not that many people yeah. in that camp. That's a lot of it's a lot of stuff to accumulate. And other than that, yeah. he's been trying to start an international international incident with his uh, 72nd scale float plane tender. <laughs> he did. It was it was quite funny, but uh, all in good fun. I think. I hope they think so. We had nothing to do with that. No, we didn't. I did exchange emails with the guys down at OTB afterwards and uh, uh, told them the, the deeper story behind that joke. And uh, uh, Jeff Paul, Jeff uh, had originally sent that to me when he was uh, in the middle of uh, constructing that and uh, scratch building that seaplane tender. And I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. So... I'm glad I'm not the only one at some point. Yes. Well, for those who don't know, the joke was, uh, inch high guy photoshopped a, uh, airfix box art scheme with this, uh, uh, what's the name of the ship? The Akatsushima. It's a Japanese float plane tender. Uh, and, uh, he, he did a very convincing box top for, uh, an airfix kit of it in 72nd scale because he was scratch building one. And I had teased him at the time that uh, as soon as he got three quarters of the way through it, the uh, that some manufacturer would announce uh, 
that they were releasing a kit of it. Uh, and uh, so he, he mocked that up and sent it to me uh, 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 sometime later and I fell for it completely. That would be, that'd be a big kit. It, it is the, his, you know, he scratch built it. The thing is, something like five feet long it's it's a pretty it takes two people to to bring he's brought it to several model shows and it takes two people to move it so mike uh have you been building since our last episode not as much as i would like i think all the festivities last week kind of cut into my modeling time because we had a lot of good weather and I was outside a lot instead of down the basement at the bench, but I've got a few things done. I think last episode I was almost done highlighting the Zist two. Mm-hmm. Fifty shades of fifty shades of green, as I say. <laughs> that's all. That's all done now, and I, I tell you, I've, I'm really pleased with it. After I kind of put it aside for a while, didn't look at it, and then came back to it, I was like, you know. I'm I'm liking the way that looks. So it needs a satin coat now before I can start the oil paint work on it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, since uh, I'm having a little airbrush issues here of late, I'm kind of working on the peripheral details that are going onto the display with the model. Um, I'm building the ammo boxes. I got one, one ammo box from that kit and I, I cabbaged two others from a ZIS-3 kit also by Mini Arts. I've got three unopened boxes and those buggers are tough they're they're uh six pieces each and it was you know trying my patience to get those lined up but i broke out my little metal machinist squares and that's that's kind of why i bought them so i just had to remember i had the fool things i actually saw you you sent me texts and all while we were while you were in that process and sent me photographs and uh, those seemed like such a good idea, and I'd never seen or encountered them before. I actually went to Micromark and ordered a couple, um, uh, two of the small ones and two of the medium ones. Yeah, they make three sizes, but the big one is about four inches. It's, it's a pretty big thing. So unless you're building plastic buildings or something that's got really big sides that need to be 90 degrees, it's... A little bit of an overkill, but the, the small ones for sure. And the medium ones, yeah, I use it pretty, pretty often as well. Uh, yeah, once I, I realize I, I have them. <laughs> yeah. I had never seen those things before. Uh, uh, in all my years of modeling had never count, come across them. Do those, are, are those used a lot by say, uh, scale railroad modelers? Uh, yeah, they'll be used like on a piece of glass or a, a granite surface plate to square up the building walls and things like that. Okay. Hmm. Well, it, and they got a lot of they got a lot of engineering lab use too. So that's that's where I got familiar with them was at work. But really nice okay. ones are expensive. So so the micro mark ones are are not quite as refined as say a, a machine shop caliber one, but they're good enough. Yeah, I was going to say. Certainly recommend you know. them. Well, good. I'm looking forward to getting mine. They've been ordered, and I can't wait to see them come in. Uh, also on that on that build, I was uh, all the flash in that kit was around one part and a very tiny part, the gun sight. So, <laughs> that took me took me uh, 
quite a long time to get get that sucker cleaned up. So it's looking pretty good now. And I also have been working on the the foam core for the landform for the base. I've built a uh, a little dugout revetment for it and been using the hot wire and a, a tool called the Surfform Shaver from Stanley Tools. It's kind of a typical hardware store tool brand over here in the States. Uh, basically, it's a wood rasp. It's a curved wood rasp on a plastic handle, and it's really good at shaping like white beadboard foam. It does a good job on the open cell construction foam too, but it's not quite as aggressive on that stuff. Is that thing actually made for shaping uh, uh, foam or was it actually a woodworking tool that you adapted to, to use for shaping foam? It's a woodworking tool. And i tell you how I discovered it. It was when I was more into model railroading. Uh, me and a carload of guys from here in Lexington rode up to Cincinnati and there's a modular railroad group up there that does this little turn of the century logging railroad. And they start their modules. They're like four, four foot by two foot, all of them. They all, you know, they can all be arranged into a complete layout, but basically they start this thing. It's two foot by four foot, you know, in the horizontal. And they put about between six and 12 inches of white beadboard foam up on top of it. And they, carve the thing down to the roadbed that they want. So it's just, I mean, it makes a ungodly mess, but I was it, it, really, <laughs> it makes quick work of it. And it really gives you some nice randomness and it's, it's just a good tool for working with foam unless the humidity is really low. And then you look like a snowman. I was going to say, I bet you that stuff sticking to you and you're finding it days later. <laughs> that's about all I've been working on. What about you? Well, um, the MIG-17 is firmly in the paint shop. Uh, uh, I've posted some pictures in the last two weeks. I've primed it. Then after you prime any model, you see the flaws that you thought were taken care of that aren't. So I had to go back and and fix some stuff, reprime it. Then I I did some pre-shading on it and then have painted the uh, underside. It's a very simple scheme. It's a kind of a, a light tan brown over a mid blue. Um, there's no camouflage to it, just one top color, one bottom color. And uh, so I airbrushed the bottom color uh, and several tonal variations of it as well on the bottom. And now I've uh, uh, masked it and uh, uh, just about ready to start spraying the the top color. Uh, Same thing, I've got pre-shading on it, and I'm going to hit some randomness on it. Um, The AS1 is also back in the paint shop. Uh, It's been primed and is ready to uh, get its metallic finish, which is always a challenge. So uh, I'm a little, I guess I'm a little scared on that one. So it's taken a little bit of a backseat. But with everything in the paint shop that has met my construction bench is empty, which is not a situation I'll often like. I always want to have something because I don't know about you airbrushing, you, you know, 
you need a long session. And if you don't have the time for a decently long session, you know, but you want to sit down and model, it's kind of easy to work on the construction side of it. So with everything in the paint shop, uh, I was kind of lacking a construction project, which uh, we'll talk about probably more in our special segment later on. But uh, I am making progress. Well, good. I, I'm kind of in the same boat you, and we'll talk about that more. But all mine are in paint phase, and I'm starting to get the itch bad <laughs> to, to, yep. to build something else. Yep, that happens to me. Since our last episode, there have been, well, since we've covered this topic, uh, quite a few announcements and releases for kits and uh, peripherals and supplies and all that. Uh What's uh, what's got your eye? Well, the first one that has the first one that has my eye is a company called Wolfpack, which is a smaller manufacturer who, up to now, has only done forty-eight scale stuff. Uh, has announced a seventy-second scale F5E kit. Um, I kind of I, I have a special place in in. Uh, my heart for the F-5 because, uh, of course, it's the aggressor aircraft that both the Navy and the uh, Air Force have used in the past. And therefore, there are a ton of really great paint schemes for it. So uh, I have both the old Tolari kit and the slightly newer Hobby Boss kit, but neither of them is great. They're both buildable. They're both decent, but we could use uh, a new modern kit in 72nd scale of the F5. So uh, I was happy to see that. So what, what, what have you seen that you've become interested in? Well, in, in the last week, uh, David Parker, a uh, longtime fan of his modeling, but he's been, I guess, editor of AFV Modeler for a while now. And he's got a book coming out called Crew School, and it's a book about painting and posing uh, tank crew figures specifically. And like I just said, I've been a fan of his work for a long time, and I'm always interested in improving my my figure painting and posing skills because I just don't practice it enough. And maybe I'm hoping I'll get a little inspiration from this. And uh, it looks like a really good book, so... I'm, I'm anxious to get my hands on that. So I'm going to check around here soon and see if it's available yet and go ahead and order that one. Sounds interesting. Anything else for you? Yeah. Well, um, I, uh, I have way too many decals. I'm addicted to decals. Uh, I shouldn't buy more decals, uh, but you know, I just can't resist a good decal sheet and a company called kits world has just in the last few days announced four new 72nd scale decal sheets. Uh, actually, I think they may do them in some other scales as well, but um, they've announced a mid to late war uh, Navy and Marine sheet. Uh, they've announced a sheet of the Doolittle Raider B-25s uh, to coincide with the uh, release of the the. B25B version of the Airfix B25 kit. Um, and then they did some uh, a sheet of Malta Spitfires. And Malta is one of those uh, 
areas of special interest for me. So um, uh, I'll probably end up getting all of those sheets. Do I need them? No. Do I want them? Yeah. So I'm probably going to end up getting them. So yes, in case anybody's wondering, I've got a problem. What else have you seen? Well, Mini Arts had a little bit more of a reveal on that uh, D5T arm T3485. And oh, really? Yeah, it's that's gonna be a kit I'm gonna have to get. You know, <laughs> I was I was a, I was a little disappointed because it dawned on me that it wasn't quite the version I thought it was gonna be. It's a it's from the summer of 1944, I believe. So it's got a little bit different turret fittings on it than the one I'm really interested in. But I got to think, I've got to think the one I really want's not far behind because it has a very popular paint scheme on it. Now this one though, I'm going to get because the wow factor, and I'm saying this on an interior, I, it's, it's a lot to it and it looks really, really nice. A lot of nice photo etch, a lot of, you know, it's got the engine and the transmission and all the fighting compartment. So Probably got about 8,000 parts, I imagine. Well, that'll keep you occupied for a little while. Yeah, sure will. You got any <laughs> more favorites or you got, or you got a, you got a yawner? Well, I got one that's, okay, I'm not sure whether it's a favorite or a yawner. I, I, I'm lost at a loss to explain it, so I'm just going to, going to say what, it, Mini Art has announced an Imperial Russian railway boxcar in 35th scale. Um, and <laughs> I have no idea deal why, but as soon as I saw, they haven't even released images of the kit, just the box top. And I do not know why, but as soon as I saw that, I'm like, dang, I'd like to build that. Now, I don't do railroad modeling, I, I've I've only occasionally built in 35th scale. You know, Russian Imperial uh, Railroad implies World War One, although I suspect this boxcar was probably in use in World War Two as well. Um, who knows? But for some reason, I saw it. And I'm like, that's cool. I'd like to do that. For stuff that's excited me, I, I think that's going to cover it for the, for this episode. But for for one that left me kind of unimpressed, and this is personal opinion, but AK Interactive has come out with an entire range of glue, and it just it's like you know it duplicates two or three other lines already. I, I just don't get it, um, and it's not it's not I got a axe to grind with AK. Their their real color paint line is awesome. I, I'm really starting to enjoy that because I like the color, the color selection and the quality of the paint's really good. Uh, I kind of dished on their Gen 3 acrylics a while back, but I'm going to eat a little crow on that one because uh, looking at some reveals online and some first time uses by some of the YouTube guys, it looks like the metallics in that range are really pretty, pretty good, uh, which I think is a step up for most acrylics like Vallejo acrylics, I think are, are, the, the biggest weak point of their, of their range. It's almost like glitter and in, in PVA glue is what it reminds me of. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think glue is pretty, pretty well covered. This is duplicating the Mr. Color, uh, 
Mr. Hobby line is, is duplicating Tamiya. Uh, those two come to mind really quick. And I, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, Anthony with Scale Model Podcast mentioned that, you know, maybe it's uh, advantageous for, for uh, shops who are looking for kind of a one-stop shop aspect for distribution. They don't have to go sign up for with four or five different companies to get this stuff they need. And that kind of makes some sense, but I, I don't know. I I don't understand it. They've clear. I I don't necessarily understand it either. But they've clearly somewhere internally made the decision. We're going to try and have product for as wide a part of the modeling hobby as possible. And I mean the. Uh, I think they're doing kit distribution, aren't they? Or or re-kitting? Or... I think they're selling most brands on their website. Okay. And, uh, but so I think that, I think they've made some sort of internal business decision and only time will tell whether it's a, a good call or a, a bad call, but they've clearly decided we're going to market to as wide a model hobby audience as possible. We're going to have something for their every need. And, uh, well, they're getting close. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what they come out with next. And then there was, there's one more, there's a couple of, uh, more tune kits that have come out. Not, you know, it's just, just not my thing. And, I, w- I want to mention it because uh, Stuart at a Scale Model Podcast was kind of pondering if if this was a little bit in bad taste because one of them's a Titanic and it comes with the icebergs and some some seals or something like that. <laughs> and I get it. I mean, it's a, close to the line. It is. It's a you know pretty pretty big tragedy. Um, that goes without saying, but I think it's far enough down now that in history that it's it's a a matter of historic record now there's i i would find it hard to believe that there's anyone left on this planet that is mourning actively someone who died on the titanic i mean what was 19 yeah 1913 1912 so a long time ago and then you know it's kind of a matter of perspective too i mean it was a a tragedy for the passengers and the crew, especially those in the cheap seats down in steerage. Um, but to steal a joke perspective is probably a little different for the lobsters in the live tanks in the, in the first class galley. Right. I mean, it was a miracle. It's a miracle to them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the real tragedy was having to sit through that movie. Uh, uh, we won't get my, into that. Not my yeah, not my favorite movie and not one that you're going to get me to rewatch. So, uh, yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I don't understand the tune stuff either. I, I just, it's kind of like the 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 Paper Panzers and the Luft 46 Doodle Kits. Uh, you know, it, I'm sure there's somebody out there building them and loving it and God, more power to them, but it just not, not, not. Stuart built one of the tanks and didn't. Yeah, had a thoroughly enjoyable time doing it. So tonight we're going to talk about uh, crossing the boundaries of scale and genre. Um, 
for me personally, from my perspective, I'm a long time 35th scale armor builder. And in the past I've considered and even attempted to build things in other scales or other genre, like going to an aircraft kit or something like that. And the struggle for me has always been that I've got this skill set and my skill set is letting me attain a certain level of finish in, at, in the end of the, of the build. And then when I go to something new, I kind of have that expectation and something will be different in the finishing or the, the method methodology in building the kit or the model. And sometimes I find it discouraging and sometimes I just end up trashing it. I, I don't think I've finished anything that wasn't 35th scale, uh, up until this Airfix 76 scale Bofors and Morris tractor I'm building, which really isn't finished yet, but, uh, I think it has high chance of success. So what, uh, what have you done along those lines and what do you, what do you got to say about it? Well, as you know, I, I, I am a believer in God's one true scale, 72nd scale, but, and, and the vast, vast majority of the modeling I do is 72nd scale aircraft. And it, it's a, it was a conscious choice. It's a good fit for me because I can build any aircraft from a World War One fighter all the way up to a B-52 and reasonably be able to, to build a kit of that. You know, if you're, if all you're interested in is, is single engine World War II fighters, I can see why somebody might choose 48 scale because the, the fact that a little bigger, a little more, eye attractiveness and if you know that's all you're going to be building that's i can understand why people choose that but um i will say that i do think there's a distinct advantage of no matter what your main area of interest is occasionally stepping outside of it and doing something in a different scale in a different genre or both. Um, and I, I think there are a number of advantages to it. Have you ever gotten stuck in a rut modeling where, you know, the projects you're currently working on are just, you, you've, you've hit a, a stopping point, lost motivation. And so you're not making any progress on anything. Well, I think we've all probably done that. See, and I think that's one of the times when going outside your scale and outside your genre can be good for you. Um, if you pick something that you quote unquote don't care about because it's not your major subject matter or in your normal scale, I think that can kind of be freeing as long as you can keep the attitude that, you know, that this is just to get back to the enjoyment of building something. I don't really care, you know, and if I mess it up, so what? It wasn't something that I had a lot of emotional investment in. Um, I do think that, that uh, you know, you're building that bow first. Uh, 
and and I know that has some sentimental or or um, memory value to you. And I think that's another time when going and crossing the the scales or the genres is a good choice. It seems to have helped you. Well, it has. And one thing that came to mind listening to you was, you know, half the people listening to us right now are like, what are they talking about? I I build all kinds of stuff. And, you know, like Randy in our club. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) he's, he's all over the map. Yeah. Uh, Dave Crouch. Yes. Dave Crouch as well. And I think uh, for for me, I think the rut I got into, not for a particular build, but for the hobby in general, you know, I I was kind of on a hiatus for a long time, just kind of dabbling. But since I've come back into it, kind of roaring back into it, I seem to be a lot less reluctant to start things that are outside my normal scale. And like the Bofors, you mentioned that it is a lot of nostalgia in that kit, but another part of that one though, is, is I'm building it the way I always dreamed it was going to turn out when I was 12. Right. (laughs) I'm a lot, I'm a lot better modeler. It's, it's a fun little build, but you know, I'm looking up now at the top of my bench and there's two 72nd scale aircraft up there and I'm probably going to pick one of them. And one of them is a P-51B from AZ Models, and the other is that, uh, I can't remember, the box is all in Japanese, so I can't rem- read it. It's the, the Fujimi's. E-6 Paul. Uh, yeah, the E-6A1 Paul on a catapult. Yeah. Now, here's, here's kind of where I am with these two, uh, both outside my normal scale, because they're not 35th scale, and they're clearly outside my genre because they don't have they got wings and propellers. <laughs> um, the the P fifty one B kit is is as soon as I started looking around about that kit and seeing the aftermarket that's available for it, I was like, I don't know if I want to build this one straight shot or not. Now the float plane, however, the only aftermarket available for that kit are canopy masks. There's nothing else. And you must have canopy masks. Uh, well, I've got se- I've got several comments. First, welcome to the light side. Come into the light. You'll 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 enjoy it. Um, but uh, both of them are fine kits, and uh, uh, yeah, the the P fifty one B. There are tons of aftermarket for it. Uh, the Paul, not so much, simply because of the fact that. You know, it's not nearly as popular an aircraft, but again, either one of them be a fun build and a nice change of pace for you. And both would be better than that uh, Airfix Bofors kit. Oh, I'm sure. But where I was going with it was if I'm going to switch scale and genre, it would be nice to take the detail build aspect of it off the table. Yeah. And if I build the float plane, unless I want to scratch build a bunch of crap I don't know anything about right now, I'm, I'm kind of stuck with what's in the box. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, along that regard, I, I think uh, building that one's probably the better choice for what we're talking about tonight anyway. 
Yeah. Well, and and lest every the listeners think this is a one way street, uh, when all of my current projects moved into the uh, uh, paint booth, uh, and I wanted something just to stick together. I wanted, you know, something that didn't know much of anything about, didn't have any emotional investment in it. Uh, I I thought, you know what? I'll build a 35th scale Russian gun. So I texted Mike and said, you know, what kits are out there? What's cool? What? And he, he came back with a couple of suggestions. And uh, I went ahead and, and ordered one of the items that he suggested. And uh, now I'm not building completely straight out of the box. I did get, there's a brass barrel available for it. And I did get that. But other than that, all I'm going to do with that kit is sit down, build it, not particularly, to, I don't want to say not caring about it because that, that, that's not exactly what I mean. I don't have any emotional investment. I don't know anything about it. I'm not going to do any research about it because once you do, you know, the temptation is to start, you know, start fiddling and, and improving. And then, you know, that, that you can go down a hole that way, but it's, I needed something for my bench. I needed something to build because I wanted to cut parts out and glue them together. And uh, I thought that would be a nice change of pace to build something. I don't know much of anything about. Well, I'm curious. I've noticed over the years that a lot of your, when you cross the boundaries of genre and scale, a, a lot of the things you've picked have still been kind of on the small side, not, not to say they weren't, you know, good builds or complicated builds or any of that, but, um, have you, have you ever built like a, a, a 35th scale tank? And I've seen I some small one, guns you've built. Right. Uh, I did build one 35th scale tank in my, at least, in my adult modeling life, since I returned to uh, to modeling in 1980, 1982. Uh, and that was uh, Tamiya's old T-34. Uh, I may have posted a picture of it at one point on the Facebook page. Uh, I thought I was weathering the heck out of it. And it is the cleanest tank you have ever seen in your life because... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm an aircraft builder, and weathering is particularly heavy. Weathering is something that uh, uh, you armor modelers are good at. Which brings up a point about crossing scale and genre is that one of the advantages of it, at least in my opinion, is that you learn new skills. You were talking about Randy and and David uh, Dave Crouch. Both of those guys are really, really fantastically talented modelers and have produced just some awesome models. And I do think at least some part of it is because they build across scale and build across genre and they pick up skills that if all you're doing is building 35th scale German World War II tanks or 72nd scale modern jet aircraft 
that you're never going to encounter. And so you're never going to pick up. I agree with that a hundred percent. Like Randy, he, he built a, a sci-fi kit. Then he built a, a 1950s vintage Corvette. And now he's building a YF 23. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So all over the place. Pretty cool. Yep. Yep. Well, and same thing for Dave Crouch. He'll go from uh, uh, a car modeler, which I believe was was the first area of interest for him. Uh, Next thing he does, he'll paint a figure or a bust, um, then go and build a 48 scale aircraft. He was building that uh, Kingfisher kit. Um, And so I and he's one of the most talented modelers I know. And it just, I do think that it, in addition to giving you, exposing you to skills that you don't get if you, if you cordon yourself off, I also think that a certain amount of bravery comes along with it because you're not so invested in what you're building if you're building outside of your normal area. Yeah, I can see that. Have you ever have you ever picked something just to learn a skill? Have I ever picked something just that's a great question. Have I ever picked something no I don't think specifically. No, I do not think I've like uh specifically said I'm going to build this tank kit with a whole bunch of photo etch because I want to learn more about how to get good at photo etch. But I don't think that's a bad reason to do it. In fact, I think that's probably a pretty brilliant reason to do it. How about you? I no, I don't think I have. But I, I, I want to tackle one of these aircraft kits so I can learn something. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of my masking skills have probably atrophied, and I'm going to have to. You have to dig deep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just remember, canopy masks are your friend. That is the one area where technology has done something in modeling that has made the hobby so much more enjoyable for us aircraft aircraft guys. Well, maybe it'll be inspiring because I remember the last time I built any kind of aircraft with any kind of regularity, I was, I was hand painting those canopy frames (laughs) (laughs) with, with a brush. It was probably too big. Times have changed. Times have changed. Is there a skill out there that you want to pick up and therefore want to try a project specifically to pick up that skill? I've got a kind of a, I won't call it a a timeline, I guess. I want to build a simpler 72nd skill aircraft because I want to get kind of the feel for that again, because I I got these catapult float planes I want to do because I just, there's so much appeal there. I've always liked them. I've never built any of them. I've built them without a catapult. I built an Arado 196, the old Heller kit when I was a kid. And I built, uh, I built one of the Kingfishers. It's probably the Lindbergh kit. And, yep. you know, those were 72nd scale. And then ultimately among friends, I would, I've got 
kind of interested in doing the 30 second scale version of some of those as well. In fact, I've got Ravel's Arado one, one ninety six a three already. I've had that for that's a sweet kit. Yeah, it is. And I've, I've, I've been looking at the Kitty Hawk Kingfisher too, which that name makes people grind their teeth a little bit sometimes, but, uh, it looks, it looks like a pretty decent kit. I know some of theirs have got some challenges, but, um, I, I just, I just like, I like float planes. I don't know why. I just, I think they're, they're attractive. Some of them, some of them aren't, but the ones I've mentioned, I think are. Are there, is there another genre, genre that you've considered like a car or, um, uh, you know, figures. Well, you mentioned a book and wanting to get better in your figures that go with your uh, AFV, your artillery or, or tank stuff. Right. So I think those kind of go hand in glove with what I want to do with it. But, you know, I, I've got a, I've got a railroad background and I used to do a lot of painting and decaling. Um, I, I learned a lot of things decorating model railroad models that still I, I carry with me mostly the the art of decaling, uh, but I I don't know the aircraft I want to do, and then there's some some I, I guess you call them large scale ships, but they're they're small they're boats, you know, like uh, right. I'd really I'd really like to have a go at uh, the Airfix Schnell boat, their e boat, not the not the new Ravel one, but the old Airfix one, and also their RAF rescue launch. Because I've always liked yeah. those kits growing up, back to nostalgia as well. But there's a lot to learn there too, I think. But definitely crossing genre there because I haven't built a ship. I don't know the last time I built a ship. Well, I do think I do think it's good for you. I really, uh, I, I do think it keeps you fresh. Whereas if if you're cranking out nothing but just to pick a subject, uh, 35th scale tanks or 48 scale aircraft. I do think you, you can fall into a rut where you're not trying something new. You're not pushing the envelope. And I do think that there's some enjoyment in that, in, in modeling and trying something new and succeeding. Now, trying something new and failing sucks but you know if you don't try <laughs> something new if you don't try something new you you know you'll never know you'll never get that way so i i really do think as much as i love 70 second scale and aircraft i do think that that's a it's a great thing to do well i'd be curious uh what our listeners have got to say about that and think about that if 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 you're if you're listening to this and if you're a kind of a one track kind of modeler one scale one type of one type of genre and you've dabbled in some other things how'd it go for you or uh if you're multifaceted um kind of what uh what makes you tick along that that kind of vein i'm because I, 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 i've not been that way and I, I know some modelers we've we mentioned randy and, and dave already but um i that's just never a way I've, I've pursued the hobby. And I'd be curious to understand a little bit more about uh, what, what drives those folks. So uh, send us some uh, emails and Facebook posts and let's talk about it. Sounds great. Sounds great. 
Um, so do you, uh, since the last uh, episode, do you have some shout outs for anybody? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I recently did some business with an eBay store called Fire Chiefs Attic out of Hiawassee, Georgia. And they had some really fast service and nice attention to detail. So I like, uh, I like it when folks do a really great job for their customers and fire chiefs attic helped me get some airbrush parts pretty quick. And I ended up needing something else. Well, in addition to not something else, I got the part I wanted and needed, but I needed something else. So that one's on the way from fire chiefs attic as well. So if you got a need, check them out. They kind of got products all over the place not really specific to any one thing, kind of a general, general hobby business on eBay, but, uh, fire chiefs attic, check them out. What about you? Well, um, (laughs) apparently I'm the last person in the known universe to discover, uh, BNA down in Australia. Uh, I mentioned that, uh, you know, I'm going to try that Russian gun and that there's a, uh, a brass barrel for it. And the only folks that had it were BNA down in Australia. And I've never heard of them before, but nearly every modeler I've talked to since has said, oh, yeah, well, I knew about them. You know, I went and ordered from them before. Just I had never encountered them. And uh, so they had a nice website. They got a great selection. I went there to get one barrel and ended up ordering like six things. Uh, which pretty much is par for the course, let's admit it. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I was thrilled. They had what I needed. So shout out to them. Well, that sounds good. I, I've ordered from B&A in a long time, but I, I have in the past. And, you know, they've got an eBay store that I, I end up in all the time just by searching stuff I'm looking for. And I thought, is this B&A? And, and it is, but... Uh, well, good. Let me know when that stuff arrives. I'd be curious how that how that little gun barrel is. I will let you know. I'll let you know. Do you have another shout out? I, I do not. That's mine for the for the episode. You got another one? Just a general one that really links up to the to my first one. Thank gosh for all of the hobby stores and hobby suppliers out there in this time of lockdown because. Uh, uh, you know, it's been great when you needed something to be able to simply go online and find it and order it and, uh, you know, keep your hobby moving forward uh, in a time where you just, you know, you're kind of stuck at home and you're wanting to do stuff uh, in your hobby. So I'm grateful that they're all out there and I'm grateful that most of them are still operating and uh, even in the the time of lockdown so shout out to all of you out there in the in the hobby industry doing all that mail order getting close to the end here we probably ought to wrap it up as always dave so many kits so little time mike you take care take care